Thank you for joining us. This is Paul Wilson. And Chris Emke. You're listening to Diesel Performance Podcast. Chris, uh, we did History of Duramax Turbochargers last week. Big hit. Guys are loving that episode. You know, I I think if I were to have, uh, you know, been an outsider in and outsider being like not where we work, that would have been an episode that I would have had a lot of, uh, a lot of interest in. You know, I, I know we're going to do future um, manufacturers for Ford and for Ram and, you know, uh, those uh, other popular trucks. And I remember years back when I was, you know, doing like my first gen Dodge upgrades and some of my second gen Dodge upgrades, understanding what turbos were what, you know, how they interchanged because you read a lot of stuff online, you know, what, what's better. Oh, I swapped this turbo from this year truck. And, you know, you think you're, you're cutting edge here. So it's nice <laughs> to kind of educate and, you know, kind of break a couple myths out in the process of, Hey, just because it's bigger, doesn't mean it's better. And uh, yeah, no, that was a really, really fun episode. And I'm, I'm excited to get into today's episode also. Absolutely. Yeah. So guys, you know, we're going to be diving into the history of power stroke turbochargers. I got a really good correction for something that Chris was wrong about last week. So I'm excited to talk about oh. that. Um and I want to give a huge shout out to Justin Tyson, our producer, uh, who did all of the research for today's episode. So great job, Justin. We really appreciate it. Uh, he definitely saved us in a pinch. Uh, before we do any of that, though, Chris, I had a customer over at Calibrated Power who went through a really tough situation on his fourth gen Dodge after doing a turbo upgrade. And he wanted to talk a little bit about how tuning fixed his problem. My name is uh, Matthew Scarpelli. This past summer I bought an upgraded turbo for my 2018 Cummins. And um, I'll be honest, after spending a little over $5,000 that I put in it, um, it turned out that it was lackluster at best. Um, now I commute with my truck uh, daily. I tow with it. Uh, I expect things from it. I really need it to run right. So what I did is after working with my uh, local diesel performance shop, DG's ProTech, they were actually able to um, work with calibrated power solutions to provide me with a custom tune. I believe it was uh, Anthony at Calibrated Power. He helped my shop to create that custom tune revision that basically, I think it plays with the VGT to help uh, spool the turbo like, like a smaller turbo during takeoff and then still let it run free once it has enough boost built. Now, before this uh, custom calibrated powers tune, the truck would constantly downshift, uh, drop speed up hills, and it just it felt short on power. But now, this thing kills anything its way. I learned that the turbo upgrade was really just about useless without good tuning. And uh, you can get your emissions equipped custom tuning from calibrated power by calling 815-568-7920 today. All right, man. So that was a really cool story from somebody who actually was out there in the real world running a calibrated power tuning, got a turbo upgrade, 
truck all of a sudden lost power, lost drivability, went back, worked with one of our guys, Anthony, uh, got everything sorted out, and now it's a night and day difference, and he's back in love with the truck. Uh, guys, you're going to be in love with your truck running some high-quality custom tuning. You're also going to want to have some high-quality fuel system upgrades and, of course, some supporting mods like traction bars and other awesome components from WC Fab. Uh, but without any further ado, Chris, I thought we'd dive right in to where you made a mistake last week and insulted, deeply insulted all of our 7-3 fans out there. Do you know what you oh. said? Yeah. No, Paul. What how, did I say? How dare you? Um, Chris, you, you made a statement that 7-3s at the time in 01 were making less than 200 horsepower. Now, we had oh. Justin Tyson go in. Didn't need to because about 15 minutes after that episode airing, I actually had a message on our Facebook page letting me know um, you fucked up. And I really enjoyed that. I just, can I say it made me smile? <laughs> well, uh, you know, that, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel really bad as I'm shaking my head no. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I'll, it's, there's no secret out there, guys. I am not very knowledgeable when it comes to the 7.3 stuff. And I was only referencing the power output from one of our previous episodes and interviews that we did um, when we were talking about 7.3 tuning. And we, so, may, we may be running the difference between a rated horsepower and, and rear wheel numbers. I know horsepower, right, yeah. Um, yeah. And, that's, so that's, and that's something, Paul, that constantly I have guys when they call in and they ask about power numbers, I don't care about a crank number. I, I don't even know, like, with – with like my 15 Ram, I don't know what Ram advertised that truck at power wise. Like right. I, I really don't. I only know <laughs> what the rear wheel numbers are because quite frankly, that's all that really matters. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. hundred percent agree with you. But hey, but guys, I, I'll, I'll own, I'll own my mess up though. I'll, I'll <laughs> kind of. I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, seven, three charger guys, 94 to 97. They were running that Garrett TP 38. Uh, Let's go. Hold on, Paul. Paul oh, please. On, get, please. Now, this is something I'm not going to get corrected on. The 94, the 7.3 came, it came in 94 as a power stroke. Okay. And it came with a turbocharger. There's 7.3s that were out in 88, 89, I want to say. And then there was a, a 6.9 liter that was prior to that. And those were just diesel engines. They were non-turboed. So sure. 94 was a big year. Yeah. Was a real big year. Yeah, I, I mean, to go from naturally aspirated diesels, which if you've ever driven one or had the pleasure of having one of your friends own one, you know, um, there is nothing more gutless uh, that could still feel like it could pull a stump. Like, that's you, really how ever, I... Jared, yeah, I remember Jared, our, our mechanic, we used to work with a, a guy in the shop who drove one. Uh, so oh, I yes. have got to ride in it. Uh, I, did, I did not drive it because it was a legitimate death trap. But I hear yeah, there's yeah. a fan base out there. My dad, my dad had uh, an 89 7.3 uh, with a five-speed in it. Mm -hmm. And that was one of his plow rigs. And uh, the son of a bitch never wanted to start. Uh, you know, just go figure those old things. But I'll tell you what, man, that thing literally went nowhere and it would literally pull a house down. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Gutless, but torquey. <laughs> like that, that's it. That's what it was for. Right. Uh, but turbocharging was around. Cummins was starting to come out with it. Um, 
the the GM line, I don't think picked it up for a few years, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Uh, but but in the end, what we ran into was if we're talking about Ford, like diesel, really being a game changer, I think you're right. I, I think hitting that 210 horsepower mark, uh, which is what they were rated at in 94, yeah. w- was a big deal. Uh, now, this is yeah. a fixed, fixed geometry turbo. We've talked about what that means in the past. It means that it ran... Um, it generally will run a wastegate. Actually, the first 7.3 power stroke, I didn't know this. Um, first was non-wastegated. So yeah, just so it was, spooling uh, and going, man. Well, not only that, but it was a non-gated big aspect ratio exhaust housing. It had a 1.14 housing. And the reason behind that was they needed to put a big housing on there to uh, you know, eliminate the potential of overspeeding since it wasn't wastegated. Right. So right. go ahead. No, go on. You're good, Paul. Oh, I was going to say, okay, so so what, what I also remember is that these early, early models, the, the 94 and a half to 97, non-intercooled, uh, which I know is a yeah. big upgrade for those older 7.3 fans out there to go and add the intercooler to it. It's like you said, it, it, it's a big deal when we're talking about moving air. So if we slow oh, yeah. down that turbocharger, the idea being, I would assume, is that we can also keep some of that air cool to run through it. Um, obviously... By 99, they said, okay, we're, we're done. Let's fix some of this shit, right? Oh, yeah. They went, now they go from the power stroke to the super duty power stroke. You know, now that was, yeah. that was heavy shit. <laughs> so it was cool, too, because you see the 7.3s. If Paul, you, you had an OBS. I had an OBS. I did. You know, we yeah. both, we're both proud uh, past owners of OBS Ford 7.3s. You get into a newer 7.3, I mean, you know, to today's standards, yeah, there's their pooches and they're a little bit on the sluggish side, but they respond very quickly compared to the older OBS trucks, in my opinion. And I think a lot of that's due to the tighter housing. Yeah. Yeah. So 98, they technically went over to the Garrett GTP 38, which was waste gated. Uh, and then in 99, they dropped that AR housing. So they got down to a 0.84. Um also, V-band turbine inlet flange was added uh, along with that wastegate and the air-to-air intercooler. It, it made a huge difference in reliability and performance. They kept that design from essentially from 99.5 up to 03. Um, and, and then that's when things started to change. Now, Chris, I, I always get a little mixed up here. Did you catch, is there an 0373 model with a different wastegate var- or, or I'm sorry, a different exhaust housing variation, and then O three and a half is that when we we get into the six liter? O three and a half is is uh, the the second half of O three is when the six liters were introduced. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Now there is some consistency throughout these turbos. Uh, just about all of your, or I'm sorry, all of your seven three chargers going to run a sixty millimeter inducer compressor wheel, seventy millimeter exducer turbine. Um, and they all run back then. Everybody ran 270 degree thrust bearings. Uh, these were all journal bearing center sections. Uh, so, so it, it's there was some consistency for a long time span there. And, and I think, like you and I talked about, Chris, it's because they were a workhorse. They were just known to to do the job every single time. Well, I think what's also uh, unique is. Uh, the turbochargers were oil cooled uh, via the pedestal position. So it was directly on top of the feed and returns located in the block. So there were no like external oil lines, which to today's standards, that's what we're very familiar with on any of the turbochargers across the, all three. Sure. So, you know, it's, it's interesting, the technology and, you know, when we, uh, 
when we learned about seven threes a few weeks ago, talking about like how their injectors work, and then now hearing about how the design of the turbochargers work, it's very unorthodox today's standards. Yeah, yeah, it's always crazy to think back of of like how simplistic diesel started, where it was it was the most stripped down basic technology. It had the least amount of complication, and then as time went on, they ran after this oil driven system right oil driven uh injectors oil driven pumps oil driven uh even like you said just where the mounting and the oil runs through the 7.3 chargers different than everything we see today um and then all of a sudden fuel systems came out and emission systems came out where that technology jumped advanced very rapidly very quickly on everybody and all of a sudden you saw some of the struggles i think from the power stroke uh, which, yeah. which that six liter, you, you know, hey guys, you've all heard me rag on them. The 03 to 07 six liters. Yes, we all know you can build them to make power. We all know there's potential there. But I think I heard it put on the show best once way back in the day, maybe like our second or third episode. And somebody said, essentially Ford took the 7.3 and said, hey, we need more power. We need more pressure, fuel pressure, and we need more more uh, boost and we need to do it all in less space. So we're going to take that seven, three, increase the power and downsize the amount of displacement we have. So you go down to that six liter um, and, and they definitely have some reliability issues. If you're looking at them from the factory, right? I think there's even a class action lawsuit for sports right now about uh, that very topic. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of things I've seen recently on Facebook, but you know, it, it, it's funny though because as as deemed as a poor engine design as a six liter was, it's it's really a fan favorite, and the it six is. liter holds a crazy name amongst you know the blue oval uh, enthusiasts. And if Paul, I don't know if you've ever driven a six liter man, but they they do drive nice. And when you compare the interior and the creature comforts and the drivability of a six liter when they're done right, I mean at they were ahead of their time. Simple as that, in my opinion. Well, first ones to jump on the VVT bandwagon or VGT, yeah. I think they refer to it in these. So, yeah. so in 03 or 03 and a half, wherever you want to fall that, that model year. Uh, yeah, like you said, they start running that single Garrett GT3782 VA uh, variable geometry turbo. Now, these trucks were rated at 325 horsepower. I think throughout 03 to 07, they actually land some different numbers uh, if you strap yep. them down to the dyno. Um, but yeah, variable geometry, veins inside of the turbine housing that will essentially electronically, can be electronically controlled to change your aspect ratio. So you get a wider range of power, wider range of usable Exhaust power. Flow. There you go. Yep. And you get, you get those early 03 turbos, man. They sound like jet planes, man. They are ear piercing. <laughs> That's what guys always talk about is the sound of the six liter, right? That is, yep. that is one of the, the staples in that market. Um, there are some problems, okay? As with all new technology, um, you know, 04 and a half, everybody had to have EGRs. Did the 03 six liter have an EGR on it? Or was there a, a yes. year? Nope. Yeah, it did right away, it. right? Yep. Six liters have had EGRs from its inception. Yep, you got it. Um, the challenge is that EGR, variable vein technology, just like the LLYs, um, also, you run into some some reliability issues in these turbos, right? Where you you really end up having some issues with carbon buildup, unison rings, things getting stuck. Um, th that's where we start to see failures. We don't see a ton of overspeed issues, at least that I can think of, and that may be attributed to that huge ten blade turbine wheel. 
probably one of the one of the best turbines made from the factory in my opinion um i, I know as I mean, they a went lot of go ahead no go on paul oh I, I was just gonna say i know they moved on to a to a 13 blade wheel um as as they went later on but i think that 10 blade turbine is just, is a staple in in the industry yeah i think the the Garrett charger, you know, the, the six liter itself, you know, that there's a lot of similarities on this tur turbocharger and its internal properties as what we have seen in the Duramax lineup from 2004 and a half all the way through 2016. So, you know, again, two different manufacturers, two very different engines. And then one of the components that's on there, granted, they all come from Garrett, but they all have that similar, you know, internal componentry. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, is really neat now. You know, the, the six liter ran from 03 and a half to 2007. Um, and then the next on the docket was something that the diesel industry, right? The, the big three had never seen before. What was that, Paul? Oh, man. The 6.4 twin turbo setup or compound turbo setup, uh, I think was, was ripped of the pages of performance. I really do. This is now... Now, original OEMs actually using compound turbos or sequential turbo systems goes all the way back. I believe it's BMW who did it first on a production car. Uh, it's been okay. used in the aftermarket world for a long time. We actually see tractors, semis, all sorts of big rig, uh, industrial equipment, all, anything that's moving a ton of, of stress, a ton of load uh, at speed is going to be looking at benefiting from a compound turbocharger. And Chris, I think we've talked at at nauseum almost about how much we love compound setups. However, yeah. I think back to that six, four system. And I just think, man, so many guys flip these over to single turbos. Well, I think, you know, it comes to a time and a place, you know, I think where the six, four was so ahead of its time. And I remember flipping through the diesel power magazines, you know, in uh, my late teens and, and early twenties when, when these were, you know, getting into their stride, if you will, um, you can make some pretty in impressive power to the sum of about, you know, 600 horsepower on fuel. And there were guys back then doing the nitrous setups, making close to the 700 wheel horsepower. Um, and one of the reasons why you started to see these turbochargers be replaced was due to failure. Yeah. Um, looking back at where the Ford came into play, they originally weren't planning on doing a, a twin turbo setup or compound setup rather. Uh, they were trying to make things work off of the 65 millimeter, you know, atmospheric turbocharger and the trucks were just too lazy and too delayed down low. So then they go and throw in, you know, the, the Valley unit or what we would call it in the, in the, in the Duramax world, right. The, but the smaller charger, the high pressure unit was a 52 millimeter. Well, that's that's a real small turbo like yeah. that is a really really small turbo so when you start pumping these trucks at you know the 600 wheel horsepower or a nitrous 700 horsepower or just general wear and tear over time that turbo charger that that small turbo was very undersized for uh, that application sure so a lot of overspeading would come into play and single-handedly that's where either guys do you know there's 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 a market for stock appearing drop-in twin turbos on these where they do bigger wheels on both the small turbo and the big turbo um along with guys you know just ripping both out of the off of the top of the motor and putting in a single turbo in its place absolutely yeah these trucks were rated at 350 horsepower um 
they were monsters when you could keep them together. Uh, And I know every time we go to a competition, there's always a 6'4 guy there. Uh, I know when I was out at Diesel Power Challenge, the 6'4 guys just, they have the potential to be built to run all over the place, right? They they really, really do have this wide range of versatility. But again, uh, in true Ford fashion, plagued with reliability issues. Now that started to change as they moved into the 6.7 liter uh, in 2011. And they're still running the 6.7 today. That's what's in the 2020s. That's what we expect to see in the 2021s. Um, The original, the early 11 to 14 models, very, very different turbo system. Probably the most significant change from the 11 to 14s to the 15 plus comes down to that turbo. Now, again, Ford taken big swings when it comes to turbo technology. And that's what I love about them. Uh, Chris, can you give our listeners a little bit of a rundown on how this 11 to 14 system actually works? Yeah. So it was a single turbocharger, but it was uh, a a dual compressor wheel. So that's where the sequential single sequential comes in. So when you think about a turbocharger and you look at it from like an aerial view, so you're looking down at it, you have your exhaust side, you have your center section, then you have your compressor side. Well, with this GT32 dual boost variable geometry single sequential turbocharger, (laughs) what that did was is instead of having a single compressor wheel, you had two compressor wheels back to back on the cold side of the turbocharger. Double the volume of air would be getting into the engine at this point. Um, and this was so ahead of its time when it was released. It wasn't even funny. Like it was confusing to some degree so, on uh, what its capabilities were. Yeah. And, and I thought the really cool idea was, again, the versatility is you're essentially taking a sequential, a, a standard compound or sequential turbo system and condensing it into one unit uh, was the idea is, is that you would, you would push the air towards one wheel. Uh, that had one profile when you were down low. And then at a certain point, you would switch over to ride the air across the other wheel as you got into a different driving range and, and better yep. scenario. Um, so they're back to back on that same shaft with a 46 millimeter inducer um, is what stuck out of the stem. Although I think that's kind of a, a misleading measurement, but again, um, it just couldn't hold up. Now it did have some really cool ideas, dual inlets. Uh, so air comes in from two places, uh, yeah. I believe on these. And then also ball bearing center cartridge and it's waste gated and it's a variable geometry turbo. And these things, you turn these things up, they are some torquey some bitches. They make some power. <laughs> the drivability there is really nice, but there were some, uh, you know, they were, Unfortunately, the the 11 to 14 turbo crowd or 11 to 14 power stroke crowd, these turbos are prone for failure. And one of the biggest proponents of that is uh, the balancing of the center of the shaft itself. You have, you know, the turbine wheel, but then you have two compressor wheels essentially hanging out front. So there is an imbalance, you know, as thrust comes in or as the turbo discharge comes into play. Um, So the Ford world then goes and, you know, these trucks are becoming a little older and there are, you know, the, the, the newer platforms that have a different uh, profile and it's really common to swap like a 15 plus style turbo onto a Lee 11 to 14. Sure. Well, in 15, Um, you got that Garrett GT 37. It's a single VGT charger. It's almost identical to what goes on to an LML uh, or at least very, very similar. Very Um, similar. Yep. But, but yeah, why wouldn't you, right? Like, yeah, I think yeah. you'd be crazy not to. 
So this is a variable vane, right? VGT, VVT style turbocharger. So they yep. do not have waste gates. Um, and it fits, you know, it has a, uh, how do I want to word it? it? It's it's an odd, however, it's an odd uh, compressor discharge and exhaust, you know, in, in intake as far as how the air and the exhaust flow in and out of that turbocharger. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely a little bit different shell design when you're looking at that sitting next to any other charger out, out on the floor. Now, 17 to 19, another turbo upgrade. Did I, did I catch the notes right on that? Yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so and, now, as it's we, a very, from what I understand though, it's very minimal as far as the changes that were, uh, that, that, that had taken place. Same here. Same here. Yeah. And then 2020, I think we're seeing an update again, guys. We just don't have a ton of specs on those. Um, I, I do know that as we start to look at the new smaller frame Honeywell turbocharger for lower inertia uh, and faster response, we're going to get a new turbine wheel, new compressor wheel, uh, dual axis variable vane precision. Um, I don't, I, I don't always know what all of these words put together are going to actually mean to the real world, right? Like th that's where I, I start to have questions of what we're going to see. We know once well, 2017 what, hit the L5P tur turbocharger was very different, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny because you said the dual axis variable vein precision sport mechanics to support uh, tighter tolerances without wear. And then they also say that the prior versions, 19 uh, and earlier to the 2015 veins were pinned only to one side. So is there going to be like two rows? Are there going to be like dual reinforcements to allow for travel to be more precise? It's going to be interesting to see what those look like and actually getting one in-house and, you know, playing around, <laughs> yeah. you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think we're excited for some of the cool stuff that's coming. Um, like everyone else, we're going to electric, 100% electrically actuated um, and electrically electrically driven variable vein geometry controller. Uh, so, so I think there's some cool things on the horizon. I think we're going to see some really cool stuff. One of the unique things about these six sevens, Chris, um, air to water intercoolers, did that start yep. back at 11 or did that start at 15? I believe that's a six seven thing. I, I could be wrong. I'm not that up to speed, but I believe that that is a 2011 plus thing. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cool technology, right? If nothing else. I mean, hey, I've never. Fords have a way of maintaining their coolant capacity, whether it's engine coolant or air charge going into the air charge system. Um, there's other things that I've seen with the Ford that are a little different than the other platforms, which is not what this episode is about. But you know, the technology around the Ford. You know, think about the Ford platform as a whole, and you know where they came from, and having all the issues with the six liters and the early six fours, not running into as many issues with the turbo technology, trying to you know prove a point and, and, and push the industry and in, in different uh, technology with the 11 to 14 charger. And now you have like a really nice bulletproof, you know, you don't hear of many 15 plus turbos having issues, you know? Um, and like I said, you get in one and drive one, man. They just, they, they respond nicely down low. So, you know, similar to like what we mentioned, the LML turbo and the, uh, the newer 15 plus six, seven turbo have a lot of similarities and they drive somewhere on the street. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, you, you know, I'm always poking at Fords, but then anytime somebody asks me about a comparison of the new trucks, and I'm like, well, Ford's really hard to beat. It just, yep. it just is. You know, if you want a performance, a wildly versatile truck, 
that's comfortable and can do everything. Like the Ford's really hard to get around. Um, yeah, if you guys want to know more about some comparisons, go and check out the Duramax Tuner YouTube channel. Uh, we got a little bit of a plug there for Diesel Performance Podcast. I think we're going to condense some of that recent series, Chris, and put it together in a podcast episode for our listeners, just in case there's anybody who hasn't already jumped over to the YouTube channel. Essentially, Nick and I took out uh, the 2020 Ford, the 2020 Duramax and the 2019 Cummins. We pulled the same trailer on the same route and then just try to provide you guys some feedback about like, what's the difference if you're towing with these things with a tune on them. We know all of our listeners are driving around with some upgrades. So I thought that one would make a lot of sense. Uh, guys, if there's anything we got wrong, feel free to jump on and message me on the page. That's Diesel Performance Podcast on all our social media outlets. If you haven't already joined our Facebook group, fans of Diesel Performance Podcast, what are you even doing? Stop right now. Pause the episode. Open up Facebook. Search fans of Diesel Performance Podcast. Uh, join the group. We'll get you in there right away. We always got some funny stuff going on. Uh, for today, this has been Paul Wilson. And Chris Umke. Thanks so much for listening. They are some twerky bitches. They make some <laughs> howl.